Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Wait, what's going on there is sin. True? All right. And what's going on there, listen, pales in comparison to what happened in Israel and God's people about 2,600 years ago during the time of the prophet Jeremiah. All the kinds of things you're hearing coming out of ISIS, of course, they didn't have rifles and guns and explosives like that, but all the horrific kinds of things coming out of the news over there was happening back then. And the reason it was, not only was what was happening was sin, but it was happening because of God's people's sin. Because they had stopped living their lives the way God had told them to live them. And they had deceived themselves into thinking that what they were doing was okay and they justified it. And, and Jeremiah is this lone voice telling them, you're disobeying God and judgment will come. Judgment, God will no longer protect you from these people out there. And judgment will come. And the rest of the preachers are saying, no, 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 no. God's on our side. God's going to take care of us. But the sins of the people brought, I mean, the, the, the things that we read in the Bible, and it talks about that, that these people would come in. The, the Assyrians who came first, they were known to uh, skin people alive and leave them to die. They were the ones who, who would, would take babies and take them by the legs and smash their heads against the, the walls. And, and in the Psalms, it talks about the people of God grieving over that and how they feel about that. Uh, they were the ones that, this was over about a 20-year period with Babylon came in and, 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 and took over and took people away, and, and they would crush any resistance. Uh, a man named uh, Zedekiah, King Zedekiah, uh, got this idea in his mind that he, I think it was Zedekiah, if it's not, bear with me. The king during that time, um, decided that, well, you know, they aren't around. We can kind of do our own thing. We won't do anymore. We won't, you know, we won't be under their thumb anymore. And so they brought the armies back in, and they captured Jerusalem. They captured the king, and they brought all of his sons. He had a number of sons. They brought all his sons out for him and killed them one by one in front of him and then put his eyes out so that the last thing he saw was his sons being killed. And they, they took him away to Babylon, and the king would bring him out every now and then to show him off. All because of sin. The people had turned away from God's ways and they experienced the consequences of this. Well, let's go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells us some things that, and what's up with this. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, we encourage you to pick one up out of the pew there. There should be a a black Bible there in the pew, and, and turn to page 866 in that Bible. Page 866. Jeremiah chapter 2. Uh, 
And let's read what he says. He's going to kind of sum up the whole problem. And the whole, whole rest of the book talks and comments on the problems, elaborates on the problems, gets specific about the problems, talks about the judgment that's coming and what it's going to be like. And it's just horrific. But here in chapter 2, verse number 9, he says this. This is, this is God speaking through Jeremiah. He says, Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. And here's, he's going to tell us why. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and sea, send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? So let's just stop there and get the, the gist of what he's saying. He's saying all these nations have false gods whether they're actual physical idols that they worship or some other false god, demonic gods, whatever. They have those gods. And he says, have any of them ever turned away from their gods? No, they, they hang true with them. Even though those gods are false, even though those gods do damage to them, they stay true to them. And then he says this, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Their glory meaning the God of the universe who was their God, the God of the Bible who was their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who had kept all of his promises to them. And they, they turned away from him. And he says, they turned away from him to things that are unprofitable, things that don't work, things that, that, that actually bring hurt and harm. And then he says this, be astonished, O heavens, at this and be horribly afraid, be very desolate, says the Lord. And so God says here that when you look and consider where these people are at, be astonished. And that word here means stupefied, dumbfounded, that you would look and say, they did what? How serious do you think God thinks sin is? Sin is a really big deal. Much bigger than you realize. Much bigger than we often think. Well, let's look at verse 13 here. Now, he sums up what's going on. And he says this, For my people have committed two evils. So when he's going to wrap up all of this idea of all, all the sins that they've committed, uh, and, and he says, wrap it up. Here's, here's how we sum this up. The first thing they've done is this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Now, this is very important in a culture. Uh, why don't you go to that next slide, if you would there, John. This is very important in a culture that, um, in an arid culture, right? You need spring water. You need to find sources of water. You need it to live. You need it to, if you're going to, to grow and multiply and do better, you need this kind of water. And God says, that's me in your life. I am the fountain of living. I want to bring you, you life. I am the one who, who makes your life worth living. I am the one who, who can give you abundant life. And he says, the first thing they did is they turned away from me. And, and the idea here is, why would they do that, right? What sense does this make? Why would you walk away from the best thing you ever had going for you? And yet that's what they did. Let 
If, excuse me, I thought somebody's uh, sending me messages on my phone. Is it one of you? Okay. Why would they do that? Why would they turn away? And then he says, then they have done this. He says, and they have hewn themselves cisterns. That means cut them out, carved them out, built them. Cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. And a cistern was, uh, whether a solid stone or built up stone or a hole in the water, places that they would use to try to store water, to capture rainwater and store it. So they would have water when they need it. And so he says what, what these people have done, and it's, 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 it's symbols, I know, but he says that we, they had the fountain of living water, pure, holy, awesome. They had everything they needed, and yet for some reason or other, they have turned away from that to other things and said, oh, we're going to do it this way. But it won't work. That's what God says here. Cisterns, but they're broken. They don't work. And really what he's doing is he's telling us he's, he, that it's sin. Their sin is wrapped up in these two ideas. This is a description of what's really going on, by the way, whenever sin is in the picture. This is a description of what's going on in my life when I sin. It's a description of what's going on in your life when you sin. And this is what Israel was doing to the extreme and what we do far too often. Sin. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to zero in on this problem of sin. Uh, The sermon series is entitled, The Deadly Exchange. Exchanging the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns that can't even hold water. We're going to look at a few areas where we are often tempted and often give in to sin in our culture and, and, and make this deadly exchange. And today... Today, we're going to start off by considering the problem itself, the problem with sin. What's the problem with sin? I mean, do we know we're not supposed to do it? So, okay, so what's the big deal here? Well, let's start off by making sure we know what we're talking about when we use the word sin, okay? What do we mean by sin? And I'll move through this quickly. Sin is any action or belief that is contrary to what God says is good and right. That's sin. It might be a specific rule, principle, or command that gets broken, or it may be knowingly going against what is right in the absence of a specific rule or principle or commandment. But we know what's right. Uh, James says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Sin always includes some sort of exchange. There's an exchange. And it's, it's about either exchanging God for someone or something else that you think can meet your deep felt needs. And by the way, we have deeply felt needs. We want to matter. We want to be loved. We want to make a difference. We have these needs. And so sin always involves an exchange of thinking that somehow or other God isn't doing that well enough or can't do it. He, this would do it much better. And so it involves that exchange, or it may be exchanging God's ways for some other way. And we think this, well, somehow this way is going to meet my needs. Somehow this is going to work better than what God says, or, or maybe this will cost me less in my life than what God says I ought to be doing. But it's sin. It's a broken cistern that can't hold water. 
So here's the problem with sin, okay? Here's the problem. Listen carefully. The problem with sin is that it turns us away from what's absolutely best for us in exchange for what's absolutely worst for us. Forsaking the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns that can hold no water. I mean, remember the story of Adam and Eve, right? God tells Adam and Eve in the beginning, okay, this, this, I put you in this garden, I want you to care for it, you can eat of any tree or plant in the garden, go for it except for one, stay away from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. And what's not stated there for us to read, but as we read the rest of the Bible, we would get it, is that God intended to teach them the difference between right and wrong by having them do what's right and learn what it means to follow him or walk with him. Well, along comes Satan and tempts them and tells them, oh, no, 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 that's not the best way. The better way would be to eat of that tree because then you'll know the difference between good and evil. And you'll be like God because God knows the difference between good and evil. And they made the exchange, didn't they? They chose to disobey God. They died spiritually. Every one of their descendants died spiritually. All of us, you know, conceived and spiritually dead, needing to be saved and born again. All of, the, all of the sin in the world is a result of that. All of the pain and suffering in the world is a result of that. All the disease and death is the result of that. Do we have a fountain of living waters exchanged for broken cisterns that can't hold water? And so from the very beginning, this is the way it was. And so the problem with sin is that it turns us away from what's absolutely best for us in exchange for what's absolutely worse for us. But you know, that, that kind of sounds a little generic. So let's get more specific. We want to personalize this. We want to change us for me. Okay? And not just me, me, but you, me. All of us, me. So let's say it together here. Ready? Say this with me. I will start with the problem with sin. Ready? The problem with sin is that it turns me away from what's absolutely best for me in exchange for what's absolutely worst for me. That is what sin does every time. God always tells us the truth about sin, by the way. God always tells the truth, doesn't he? But Satan lies to us about sin, and he's made sin very, very deceptive. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, it says this, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, and he says this, through the deceitfulness of sin. If you can go to that next slide there, John. The deceitfulness of sin. The word that's translated deceitfulness here means delusion. Okay? Have you ever heard somebody talk and say, that person is deluded? Delusions? Just turn on the news and watch the politicians talk. Not all of them, but you understand. Sometimes you hear things, you go, what? There's deception. They're deceived. It is delusion. You see, sin makes problems it cannot keep. It makes promises it cannot keep. Here's, let's take an example of sin's deceitfulness. So let's say you go someplace and you're, you're looking at stuff in the store and you say, oh man, I'd love to have that. And I mean, you, you, you think your checkbook, you check it online or however you do that and you look and say, ah, I don't have the money. And so the salesman tells you, 
You don't need the money. Just write the check. It'll be all right. And you can take this home with you today. Just write the check. Take it home with you. We'll worry about this stuff later. And so you write the check. This is cool. And you take it home with you. And you're enjoying it. And next thing you know is your bank is sending you a friendly little notice. Saying there wasn't enough money in the bank to cover this check. Insufficient funds. Uh, you owe us another $25. Maybe more. Then you get a notice from the place where you bought the thing from. Who you wrote the check to. By the way, we're charging you another $25. And we're going to resubmit your check. But there's still not enough money. So what happens? You get another notice from the bank, right? And, and you still don't have enough money. See, that's what the way sin, what sin does in our lives. The lie is, go for it. It's not that big a deal. But the problem is, you keep paying and paying and paying and paying and paying. And the problem still isn't solved because not only do you not have enough money in the bank, you have less not enough money in the bank. And that's the way it is in life with sin. It deceives you. And the hole it leads you to dig just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. There's an old saying about sin. It goes like this. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. Now think about this. For the unsaved, the damage and regrets in life, and it will end, I mean, when, when, when their lives end, not only will they have experienced damage and regrets in this life, but they will then experience torment for all eternity in hell through the deceitfulness of sin. And for those who have come to Christ and have had their sins forgiven, all of them, past, present, and future, trying to live for him, but even for the Christians, we, when we sin, we experience damage in this life. We experience regrets because of our sin. And then when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ at that time and we see it for what it is, oh, we will have such deep regrets and, and then it's going to be heaven and praise the Lord for that. But for all eternity, what we're experiencing in heaven is... is different than it could have been. Sin is bad. So let's say that together again, the problem with sin, ready? The problem, go ahead, next slide there, John, please. The problem of sin is that it turns me away from what's absolutely best for me in exchange for what's absolutely worse for me. Now is this true for every sin or just the big ones? Well, obviously, the big sins have bigger consequences in our lives, don't they, here now? They, they have a much quicker, immediate impact. But understand, every sin is a step in the wrong direction. Every small sin puts you in a position where you have to deal with temptations and problems you would never have had to face if you hadn't sinned. I mean, if you can envision here, that over here is this life of obedience to God and doing what he wants me to do. And over here is this life of devastation that comes from the big sin. Okay? This is the adultery. This is the murder. This is the theft. This is the whatever, the big one. You think, well, that's the big sin. I don't do those. So here you are over here. And now you're tempted. 
And, and you know, you aren't tempted to jump from here to there. Sin is deceptive, right? What you're tempted to do is to do what? To step in this direction. And now that I've taken a step in this direction, I'm headed there. And it's only, I, this is only a really little sin. Well, you see, you're tempted again. Well, it's, it's only a little thing, right? Just, just little. And the next thing you know, you find yourself over here looking and contemplating and being faced with temptation to do something you would, said you would never do. But you know what? It's only one small step. Do you see how that works? Every sin, whether we call it a big sin or a little sin, is a step in the wrong direction. And so where do we need to fight the battle? We need to fight the battle here. We need to go, when we do this, we, oh, no, wait, no. And fight the battle and come back. What, what am I doing? No, I gotta, I gotta go back. I tell you what, you keep fighting the battle over here, you'll never be over here. You'll never be here. But if you, don't, if you just say, ah, small sin, not a big deal, that's where you'll end up. You know, when Glenda and I go for a walk, we both take one step at a time, but she always gets there a lot sooner than me. Okay? Because I think about going out for a walk after supper, and it's like this, you know? This is cool, you know? She can't contain herself. Anybody ever walked with my wife? Some of you. And so every now and then she wants me to go for a walk, and so she says, I'll go slow. And she goes like this. She goes, wait for me to catch up. You think I'm joking. I'm not. I might be exaggerating a little bit. But you know what? Whether you're getting there fast or slow, we still end up there. The Bible talks about not turning to the right or to the left, but staying true on God's ways. And the idea is this, it's a picture, it's like walking along a ridge line in the mountains. There's some ups and downs, but you're on the ridge line. And if you turn to the right, you go downhill and gravity pulls you faster. You turn to the left, you go off the path and gravity pulls you downhill faster. We, gotta, we think little sin, little sin, little sin. Forget little sin. I mean, it is true in our lives. Little sins have less immediate and smaller impact. But little sins do add up. And they put us in a position where we believe a lie that that last step is just a small one. You know, God hates sin because it deceives us and damages us and eventually destroys us. If you could see sin the way God sees it. See, he sees the whole picture, doesn't he? And we see, you know, what's here. If you could see sin the way God sees it, you would be horrified. See, this is what God was trying through Jeremiah to explain to his people. That this is horrific. Don't you understand where this is leading? Here's what's going to be like. Here's what's going to happen. God could see it all, but they didn't listen. Oh, no, no, no. It's not like that. But if we could pull the lid off sin... 
and see it the way it really is underneath its outward attractiveness. It'd be like this. It'd be like you go to your favorite hamburger place and they serve your hamburger and you lift the bun off the hamburger and you look and there are maggots in the meat. It looked really good for a little bit. See, that's the way sin is. It looks really good, but if you could lift the lid on it and see underneath it, it's not what you think it is. It's about, you know, getting a cold glass of milk out of the refrigerator and pour it in it, and you put it to your lips, and as you swallow, your brain thinks, milk's not supposed to be chunky or smell this way. <laughs> but see, that's the way sin is. You know, sin is it's, it's seeing that man who used to have a good job and a nice family who, who becomes an alcoholic and is just overwhelmed by his addiction to alcohol and you, you see him lying in a drunken stupor in the gutter, filthy and covered in his own vomit and reeking of his own urine. By the way, those awesome beer commercials never show you that because sin is deceptive. And I'm not telling you, I didn't say today that if you have any alcohol, that's a sin. I'm saying, but the sin that goes along with overindulging in alcohol. I mean, but it's deceptive. It looks one way, but it really brings something else. And so let's talk about the problem with sin again. Let's say it again, John, if you get to that slide. Here we go. The problem with sin is that it turns me away from what's absolutely best for me in exchange for what's absolutely worse for me. All right? In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, talking about our relationship with him. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And the idea that we should just stay closely connected to him and let his life flow into us and out through us. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you will wrap your life up in me, and if you will look to me for everything you need from me, if you will be, let me be, not just the vine, but this fountain of living waters in your life. If you will do that, here's what's going to happen for you. He says, your desires will be transformed. Your desires will be fulfilled. God honored and glorified. And you can look in John 15 and find all these, okay? God will be honored and glorified. He says there will be good, positive, and constructive results in your life, as well as in the lives of everybody you come into contact with. You'll have a love-filled life, a joy-filled life, a growing friendship with God, a very real and powerful prayer life, a life that makes a positive difference even after you're gone. And sin steals all of those things from you. And the results then of sin, if we want to go with the opposite of that list is you end up with slavery to fleshly desires. You are never really satisfied. God is dishonored. And your life tells other people that you don't believe God is good, that he is not worth knowing. You have bad, negative, and destructive results in your life, and that affects everybody around you. You have a life that just longs for love, always searching, never finding, a regret-filled life. You feel separated from God, and you may start to doubt his existence. There is no spiritual resources available and you have a life that continues to hurt people even after you're gone. That's the truth about sin. See, the problem with sin is that it turns me away from what's absolutely best for me in exchange for what's absolutely worst for me. 
Let's think about this with, with the idea of a medical analogy for us. Let's think about it. So let's say that you have a really bad disease that's going to kill you, and along the way, it's really going to make your life terrible. And so the doctor says to you, come to you and says to you, I have the cure. Here, you got to take this medication and follow this regimen, and you will be cured. It will, you know. And you go, nah, I don't think I want to do it that way. I have a better idea. I have a different idea. And so you embark on your own idea in your own way, but in the reality, the disease gets you. And you begin to experience all the terrible consequences of it, and, and, and along the way, all of a sudden, your brain gets affected by the disease, and you don't even remember that there was a cure. And eventually you die from it. That's what we do with sin, folks. That's what we do. God has the, the cure, and we say, no, 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 I'll go my way. And so, I know I've been having you say it again, but say it with me again one more time here. The problem with sin is that it turns me away from what's absolutely best for me in exchange for what's absolutely worse for me. Yeah, this is why sin is such a huge problem. It leads you away from the only solution to your problems and makes your problems worse. By the way, you're starting to get the sense that sin is a terrible thing. And that we kind of maybe not don't think seriously enough about it. It leads you away from the only solution to your problems and makes your problems worse. It leads you away from the only hope you ever had and takes you farther and farther away from that hope. Sin is a futile attempt to replace God with anything else. Anything you try to replace God with will ultimately fail you and leave you in an even more desperate situation. And I want you to see here, I have this written in really big letters here, okay? And here it is. When we choose sin and we want to go that way instead of God's way, it is lunacy. It is foolishness. And here's my technical term for this. It, is a, it makes you a bona fide nutcase. It's insanity. The longer you continue in sin, the harder it is to escape it without experiencing great devastation. This was Israel. Here they are. They, they were at one point in time where God wanted them to be, you know, dealing with the issues of life, but then they go farther and farther in the wrong direction. And what happens is the farther they go, the, the, the less they see and understand where they're at. And, and there were plenty of points where God called them and they could have, oh, no, I need, we need to turn around. You know, we, we need to turn around and go back. But the problem is the farther they went, the less they could see that they needed to turn it back. And that's what will happen to you. That's what will happen to me. The farther down the path we go, the less we're able to see it. And so what ends up happening sometimes is someone has to come into this utter, just wiped out in life to finally go, oh, you don't want to be there. Some of you have been there. Don't raise your hands, but some of you have been there. Your life crashed and burned, and then you were able to look and see But it seems so hard to say no to sin, doesn't it? I mean, I don't have any problem saying no to your sins. It's mine that I have the problem with. And sometimes it seems really hard to say no to sin. 
And here's the problem. When we're really struggling to say no to sin, it's because we're comparing the wrong things. We need to compare the right things. This, this way won't work. Looking at sin and trying to say no to it. That won't work. It's very powerful, it'll get you. No, sin, uh, no I'm not gonna do it. Oh, I want to, no, no, no. Oh, uh. And so see, we're looking at this broken cistern and, and should I, should I not? Should, no, I know I shouldn't, but I want to. Huh, huh. See, that's the problem. But if you compare it to the fountain of living waters, Wow, does it suddenly become clear, doesn't it? You want some muddy, stinking, lousy, germ-fested water out of this hole? Or you want fresh spring water that brings life? Do you want that sin and what it's going to do in your life? Or do you want God and what he will do in your life? See, the comparison becomes much clearer, doesn't it? Are you, are you with me on that? So don't fight it there. Wait, now here's the comparison. That's what God says here. He's telling Israel, see, this is the problem with sin. Two things, you forsake the living waters and you make your own thing. Well, let's compare those two and remember them. Turn in your Bible one more time to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Page 1398 in the Bible there in the pew. Page 1398. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 8. He says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so if you're here today saying, yeah, 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 right, don't fool yourself. If we say that we haven't sinned, we're deceiving ourselves. We've bought into the lie, the deceptive nature of sin. But here's good news, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I can, when, when I'm, wherever I'm at in this progression and I sin, I go, and I, and I realize, what am I doing? God, I know this is wrong. I, I shouldn't be here. I don't want to be here. It is wrong. The Bible says that he forgives me. Now, with respect to being a Christian, all my sins have already been forgiven as far as eternity goes. But as a Christian, that problem that comes in the relationship when I sin, he, he forgives it. And it says he does more than that, right? Not only does he forgive us, but he what? He cleans us up. Cleanses us from all. He cleans me up. This is good news, see? I mean, sin is horrific, but I want you to understand that there's good news here. Because we do mess up. Mess up's a nice word for sin. A hyphenated word for sin. When we do sin, there is good news. And, and when it comes to trusting Christ as Savior, if, you know, if you've never done that, what we're talking about here, this good news is this, that, that the Bible says that, that that day when you once and for all come to the Lord and say, oh God, I know that I have sinned against you. You don't have to remember what they all are. Just you know you have. And, and God, I believe Jesus, your son, died for my sins. 
to pay that penalty, rose again from the dead. And so I received Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to accept his payment for my sins. The Bible says that God forgives every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. He's not going to hold it against you in eternity. Okay? And then when this life is over, you're going to go to be with him. You're going to heaven, not to hell. Settled. Done. And then he says he comes inside and begins living in us and starts working on helping us to understand and grow and change from the inside out. But here's the deal about the sin, such good news. He says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I'm going to remove those sins when you trust me as Savior. Well, if we start out here and head west, head west, (laughs) when will we get there? You can keep going for the rest of your life and you will never arrive, will you? Going from east to west. And that's how far he's taken away your sins. He says as deep as the depths of the sin. He says that's the, of, of the oceans. That's where he's put your sin, down in that Marianas Trench that is deeper below the surface of the, the earth than, than Everest is above the surface of the earth. He's put them away. And then God says, I'm not going to remember your sins anymore. I won't remember them. Meaning he forgot? No, he's choosing not to remember them. Pretty amazing. And so when it comes to dealing with sin, the, the awesome news is this, that there is a solution. And the first solution is to trust Christ as Savior. To receive him as Savior. To settle that sin problem once and for all with respect to your eternity and your relationship with God. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. And then, once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, let's look here in chapter 2 of 1 John. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Right? I'm going to, I want you, you don't have to sin. We can do something better here, different. And he says, and if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation. Big word. It means satisfactory payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So if we do sin, he's got us covered. Now, just one moment. So that means if all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, never going to be held against me in eternity, it's with respect to heaven or hell, I've got a relationship with God that's settled, then it's not a big deal to sin, right? Duh. Anybody been listening? It is a huge deal. You don't want to sin. Don't want to do it. God has changed you on the inside to see that. Well, let's do this. Let's bow our heads now. You may have been attending church here for a long time but you've never really settled the issue of your relationship with God and, and you know you've sinned and if you die in that condition, you'll go to hell in that condition. The truth is Jesus died for your sins. He paid the penalty. He rose again from the dead and he, God tells us in his word that if you will honestly, sincerely acknowledge that to God that you know you've sinned against him and it separated you from him and you'll believe that Jesus died for your sins, rose again from the dead, then you can put your trust in Christ as Savior. You can receive him as your Savior and have every sin forgiven. Eternity with Christ and God himself moving into your life and beginning to change things from the inside out. If you're absolutely certain here today 
that yes, I know that I've done that. I remember when I trusted Christ as Savior. Very definitely, I did that. Uh, with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand right now? All right? All right, thank you. Put those hands down. If you're here today and you weren't able to raise your hand because you just don't have that confidence, you aren't sure, well, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision today, to receive Christ as Savior. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to pray a prayer to God that I want you to pray from your heart to God. You pray along with me silently. God knows what's in your mind and in your heart. You just pray along silently with me and you mean this to God. Say, say to God in your heart something like this. Pray along with me now. Say, God, I know that I have sinned. And I know that my sins have separated me from you. I know that my sins will send me to hell. But I don't want to go to hell. I believe your son, Jesus, is who the Bible says he is. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Right now, God, the best I know how, I receive Jesus as my Savior. I accept his payment for the penalty for my sins. Amen. Heads closed, eyes, heads closed, eyes closed, heads still bowed, please. Nobody looking around, but I want to pray for you. If you just made the decision to trust Christ as Savior, you prayed along with me sincerely from your heart to God. If you made that decision, with nobody else looking around but me, would you just lift your hand up? I want to pray for you. Who, I see that hand, I see that. Yes, I see those hands. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, I see that. Yes, I see that hand. Father, thank you for these five today who received your son as Savior. Nailed that down, Father. I pray that you'll just make this decision so real in their lives that they'll know that they are now forgiven, that, that you've come to live inside and you're going to, to begin to change their lives as they follow you. I pray that you'll give them victory, Lord, increasing victory over sin in their lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all need to take this to heart. Say this with me here one last time. Here we go. You get there? Here we go. The problem with sin is that it turns me away from what's absolutely best for me in exchange for what's absolutely worst for me. Remember that, okay? When you're faced with temptation, remember that and say, no, I'm going to choose what's best. You know, a church with less and less sin in its members' lives becomes a very free church, a very powerful church, a very blessed church, a very attractive church with really good news to offer to people. Father, thank you for the truths from your word and the work that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.